0: Thank you for listening to this talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Good afternoon, everyone. Aksa, Ghana Yatanga Yuanti. We stand on Ghana land. I'd like to acknowledge that we meet here on the lands of the Ghana elders and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging for sharing this beautiful land with us. It's lovely to see you here. I'm sorry we can't fit you all in the exhibition, except I'm not sorry at all. I'm really pleased to see you all here because when you work on an exhibition like this for such a long time, share it with people because you've been in your own little bubble for a long time so it's really nice to have this beautiful exhibition out and available and we're in day four so it's great to see so many of you here on day four of the exhibition. So for those who don't know me I'm Tansy Curtin. and I'm curator of international art pre-1980 here at the Art Gallery of South Australia and I'm the curator of Frida and Diego Love and Revolution. I've only got 20 minutes with you today, so it won't be an exhaustive trip into the exhibition, but I will give you some insights, a little bit of information, some ideas of how and why this exhibition's come about, and then of course, there's lots of really great text for you to read in the exhibition and to enjoy the works of art because that's why we're here. So I've been working on this exhibition for about two years now, and just to give you a little bit of background uh, about the Jacques and Natasha Gelman collection because I think that's a really interesting story and how this collection came about. So Jacques and Natasha Gelman were two emigres who left Europe in the late 1930s, as many did. Of course, this was a time during the Second World War uh, with fascism and National Socialism on the rise and a difficult place for many to live. Jacques had been a film producer and had been to school in Berlin and then he went to Mexico. Natasha, um, on the other hand, had been traveling around Europe and then Mexico with her then boyfriend. They met in Mexico. They fell in love with each other and with the with the country of Mexico. They married in 1940 and became Mexican citizens the following year. And from the very moment that they were married, they began collecting. Uh, Jacques Gelman had made his money uh, through the incredible comedian, Flas, who is an amazing um, comic actor and known very well in Mexico, and that's where Jacques supported him in his filmmaking career, and that's really where his financial backing came from. They started collecting, and they were very much a collection they built together. So it wasn't one leading the other, it was very much a collaborative work. So they came together and started building this collection. And I should point out that there are actually two parts of their collection – they collected French School of Paris works, and they also collected Mexican modernist works. The School of Paris works were actually donated to the Metropolitan Museum in New York upon Natasha Gelman's death in 1998, and in fact, there's a gallery named after the Gelmans in the Met in New York. So next time you're there, you can pop in and have a look at that other part of their collection. I know, we, we, we can dream, can't we? And the other side of their collection, the reason we is this incredible collection of Mexican modernism. And the vast difference between the French collection and this Mexican collection is that they were collecting the work of their friends. They were living in Mexico, they were part of the arts ecology in the community, and they were buying works by their friends. They were friends with Frida and Diego. They were friends with Cobber They were friends with David Cicero. And you can see that with the beautiful commission works of Natasha Gelman. Wouldn't it be amazing having five portraits painted It's not about ego, it's about supporting the work of artists. And we see how important portraiture is for artists and supporting their their income and maintaining career as an artist. So it's a really interesting aspect of their work. So throughout their time in Mexico, they built this incredible collection. And if you have a look at my lovely catalogue, not that I'm plugging the catalogue, there is a beautiful letter in there that's never been printed before. And it's a letter from Frida Kahlo to Natasha Gelman. jewellery and hoping that Natasha will help her. Natasha says, no, I'd prefer to buy your artwork. Good decision. Uh, But it's really interesting to see that dynamic as well. And of course, the beautiful portrait of Natasha Gelman by Frida Kahlo is an absolute shining gem in this exhibition. So the Gelmans together built this amazing collection, which we are able to share here today. There's, a, there's another collector that's really important as part of this story and a benefactor who's helped share this. When Natasha died in 1998, the collection was bequeathed to an American um, gallerist and curator, Robert Littman. And it's through his generosity that he shared this collection. And the collection has been touring for many years. It doesn't p- currently have a permanent home in Mexico. But the way that Mexican um, national patrimony works is that works of national patrimony or national treasures are only allowed to leave the country for one year at a time. So each time you have to write to the government to get permission for those works to leave the country. And that's works by Frida Kahlo, Diego Rivera, David Siqueiro uh, Maria Izquierdo. Those are all artists that actually have, have to have special government permission for those works to leave the country. So it's very special for us to be able to share those. So over their time as collectors, they built this collection. There are 10 paintings, Frida Kahlo, in her lifetime, painted about 150 paintings. Of those, 55 were self-portraits. So to have such a huge percentage of Frida Kahlo's herb in one collection is quite incredible. There's only one other major collection that includes work on such a scale of Frida Kahlo, and that's the Dolores Olmedo collection. And you might be interested to know that that was the last time Frida Kahlo's work was seen in Adelaide, was 1990 brought the Dolores Olmedo collection to Adelaide. So we've had the opportunity to have both, although I'm sure many of you are far too young to remember that. So it's, it's wonderful to see that we have this opportunity. We also have 13 drawings by Frida Carlos. So that's 23 works out of a complete oeuvre of about 200. That's 10% of her collection her oeuvre her here in the exhibition. So we're very lucky to have that. Back to the exhibition more generally. The way that is sort of curated is something that I've specifically done for Adelaide. When it's presented at different venues, each venue has the opportunity to curate in a way that works for them, that suits, uh, I guess, their patronage, their audiences, and, of course, their own building as well. For me, I really wanted to create some really strong resonances with our own Australian audiences and create connections and perhaps allow people to learn more. aesthetic, but also for a cultural world. So I divided the exhibition up into eight different themes, and you've, I'm sure you've all popped in, or if not, you will be going very shortly. And you see that these are kind of ways of, of breaking down, I, I guess, the kind of the overarching story to give you a sense of, of the, the little, smaller stories within the exhibition. And for me, I thought setting the scene with an introduction to the history the works by Mexican artists. Probably the only works we really can access are the pre-Columbian or Mesoamerican works, so works that were created before the Spanish colonisation of Mexico. And in many ways, those works have become problematic today. We know that uh, archaeological works are increasingly more difficult because we don't necessarily have great provenance for them. So in Australia, we don't have access to see great works of art by Mexican artists fabulous opportunity, but I thought I needed to set the scene by giving people this background to the history of Mexico, to its great long indigenous history, the history of the Aztec Empire, the Mayans, the Olmeca Empire, and to set the scene for us to understand how important that 1910 Mexican Revolution. So in that first room, you can see a wonderful moving image. That's not part of the Gilman collection, but I wanted to include it in there so you would understand Frieda and Diego were living there. To give you an idea of just how European it feels. And to give you a sense of the Of long instability and political unrest, and then of course the 1910 revolution. And one of the core beliefs behind the revolution was creating social equality in a society where indigenous peoples had been repressed. So that's one of the fundamental underlying, underlying sort of moments in the Mexican Revolution. So it's into this moment that Frida and Diego. Carlo herself was born in 1907, but often changed her birth date to 1910 because she thought it was a more auspicious date, the date of the Mexican Revolution. So it was really formative for her that idea of the revolution, an important part of her work. So, in the, the rest of the exhibition, we set the scene with Mexico City, giving you a sense of that colonial history in Mexico. And of course, Mexico City. today is 22 million so that is it is a super city so it's a very different world where Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera lived in the Casa Azul in Coyacan was regional, now it's just part of the huge urban sprawl that is Mexico City, so it was a very different time in the history so then when you've had your scene set at the beginning of the exhibition you have the opportunity to sort of travel through different rooms and one of the th- really exciting things about this exhibition has been working with um, architecture firm Grieve Gallette Architects and one of our Tuesday talks will be with Paul Gillette and we'll be talking, he's the, the chief architect and we'll be talking about the exhibition design together but it was a wonderful experience for both of us and there was a lot of sharing of knowledge and um, a lot of I think courage and bravery because the incredible bold use of colour and architectural forms doesn't take away or detract from the works of art, it really adds to them and I think it's really beautiful collaboration between us to create this wonderful immersive little bit of Mexico here in Adelaide. So we're introduced to ideas around Mexicanidad or Mexicanismo and the notion of the celebration of indigenous cultures. There's a homage to Luis Barragan, the incredible Spanish-Mexican architect. If anyone's interested in architecture, I never thought I would love pink and purple together, but that room just makes me sing. And then of course we've got themes around the history of Jacques and Natasha Gelman that I've just told you about, the Mexican muralists who are a very important part of the story of the Mexican Revolution. And unfortunately, it's very difficult to bring giant murals to Adelaide. We try things, but we can't do everything. We can't excise walls from buildings. So I've recreated some of those murals as large vinyls on the walls. But if you ever get a chance to go to Mexico, perhaps you will, perhaps you'll be inspired. Doing a pilgrimage of Diego Rivera's certainly worth it. And what's so unique about the mural movement in Mexico is that it was supported by the government. This is a government-led initiative to affect real and dynamic social and cultural change. In 1920, Diego Rivera was living in Paris. And we've got a very early Rivera in here, 1915, Cubist work. He was with Picasso and many of the other artists living invited by the Mexican government to return to Mexico via Italy to create murals, to build a nation, to build the nation of Mexico. So coming back via Italy, he meets the great masters of the Italian Renaissance fresco painting, Giotto, Michelangelo, Raphael, all those incredible painters. He learns those techniques and he brings them back with him. predominantly men. I believe there was one woman who was commissioned to make a mural, but wasn't allowed to do it. Are we surprised? No. Uh, but these wonderful murals, and, and so this is the government supporting mural painting in Mexico, and giving walls of all the great buildings, the Ministry of Education, the Palacio Bellas Artes, all of these incredible buildings, and of course the preparatory school where Frida Kahlo studied, and where she first met Diego when she was just a child building effect started by the government. The government didn't put any uh, caveats on what they're allowed to paint. They just needed to paint the history of Mexico and use it as an education tool for the people who'd never had access to education, who hadn't been allowed to be literate, to learn to read. So it was a way of, of raising up Indigenous voices for the first time. But in Mexican modernist history, it's such a critical part of that storytelling. Then we come to learning more about the stories of um, Frida and Diego themselves. Uh, of course, their great love affair, full of um, tragedy, love, hate, drama. They were married twice, of course, divorced once, um, and they had both had many affairs outside their marriage. But they had something very special in their marriage, and you can see. that comes from George Eastman House Collection, George Eastman Museum. And it's a piece of home video footage filmed by Nicholas Moray. And there are photographs by Nicholas Moray in the exhibition as well. And it shows Frida and Diego in the Casa Azul. And it's very sensitive. And it's very gentle. And it just shows a very sort of soft relationship between the two of them. And it's quite different from, I suppose, what's shown to us in a sort of public way. I've had so many people... And it's really interesting to think about that is the vision that comes through as Australians of Diego Rivera. But, of course, in their lifetimes, Diego Rivera was one of the most important artists in Mexico. He's so highly regarded. Frida Kahlo is not known at all. But, of course, today, her her star has far outshone his, particularly for a Western or out. fascinating to see that and I think perhaps we need to um, delve a little deeper into the kind of documentation from the period, the photographs, the moving image, the paintings, to understand their relationship and that very strong connection between the two of them. We also meet some of the wonderful creatures that Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera had in their wonderful house, the Casa Azul, and the house itself, which is such an important part of the story. Frida Kahlo was born in the Casa Azul of course, she died there as well and spent much of her life there. She was in a terrible bus crash when she was 18 and as a result spent so much of her life in bed or recuperating in wheelchairs. So her house was so much more than just a house. It was really part of her and part of her heart and her home. So the kind of building the story around the house is a really important part of this story and the people who came to her. She had students, Los Fidos, who came and studied with her at the Casa Azul. She had her pet monkeys, she had deer, she had rabbits. I don't know if you can find any other creatures, but there's a few others. She had her quite incredible Mexican hairless dogs. So she created a community of people and animals around her. Many people suggest that the animals were a substitute for children she couldn't have, but you know, I think uh, 70 years on from her death, I think we can interpret things however we want, but whether that in fact is the case, I'm not sure a section, the last section of the exhibition where we have this beautiful moment at the end with the celebratory floral moment. is really about the notion of creating identity and highlights what it is about Frida Kahlo that so entices us today. Why are we still so enamoured of this artist who during her lifetime wasn't very famous. She was the wife of Diego Rivera. But today, of Frida Kahlo. So the world has changed and we've come a long way since those times. And what is it about her image? And is it because she turns the canvas back on herself? And yes, partly it is. But there's many other reasons. And this last section of the exhibition explores the legacy of Frida Kahlo. The fact that she managed to create a hugely important sense of identity. She used clothing and dress. She adopted traditional Tijuana costume, which was her mother's which was sort of unheard of, except amongst a very small group of intellectual and artistic elite in Mexico City. Mexicans were wearing you know, European clothing at the time. So this is a deliberate choice to reclaim her identity and also hide her perceived disability. She had polio as a child, and then, of course, she was in a bus crash, and later on she had her foot partially amputated. So the clothing helped disguise those perceived imperfections but also created a new version of herself. And as a result, she's become such a feminist icon. We have a little moment near the end where we can pause and reflect a little bit about, I guess, the tragedy of Frida Kahlo and the life that she led and, and why that's still so interesting to us. But really, the last room in this exhibition is a moment to think about why we're truly here. Yes, Frida Kahlo's story is very interesting and we as human beings love to connect with the human. she wasn't a great artist we wouldn't probably be here if Frida Kahlo had become a doctor as she'd hoped she meant to be a doctor when she was 18 but of course the accident turned her inwards into herself into painting and that's why we remember Frida Kahlo today she's an incredible painter she turned her gaze back on herself and she crea- created really raw vulnerable works but works that really talk to all of us both a collective celebrating Mexican history but also turning back to the funda- fundamental humanity that is looking back at ourselves. So, I hope you enjoy the exhibition. Uh, we've st- we're only on day four, so come back. It's, it's going to be lots of fun throughout the exhibition. We've got lots of great events and programs, um, and I really hope that you enjoy seeing it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you because, as you can see, I love being able to share this with you, and it's been a great joy to work on it. So thank you very much. And if you'd like to, we've got a big group, so I won't answer questions. But if you wanted to ask me something afterwards, I'd be very happy to answer any questions if you'd like to come up. So thank you.